I actually have begun not even cutting out the awkward part in the beginning because I kind of love just the super awkward intro. (laughs) It's real. It's how phone calls start. (laughs) That's right. This is it. Uh, Speaking of which, I have hit the record button. I think you saw the countdown. Uh, So I'm here with Adam Elmore. We're going to talk about Adam's uh, career. What are you doing? Whatever you're doing with your life. Yeah, it's it's a career. career. I don't even know. I have a weird one. So yeah, (laughs) whatever it is. Okay, so I first knew about you because a friend of mine showed me a tweet where you're like hey look at all this money i made this year freelancing on aws (laughs) and i was like i have to talk to this person (laughs) yeah i think like if i'm known for anything it's i make a lot of money freelancing i don't know i didn't mean to become that guy uh and i feel like i don't even have like i'm just jumping into it here i don't know if that's okay Uh, yes uh i don't even have like general advice for people because a lot of people do want to get on like calls and like how could you help me with my freelancing career my advice is so super specific and it's so like i do this one thing and there's this Mm. marketplace called aws iq and there are tons of aws customers that need help and i help them uh it just doesn't apply that well to other things so (laughs) maybe i feel really bad it seems like you're the type of person who dives into stuff too and goes really deep like uh let's talk about the number of certificates you have (laughs) yeah so i i went out and got this was sort of like right when I was starting uh, back in freelance. Like I started my career as a freelance kind of web dev uh, for like five years. And then I started a startup, ran it for five years. And then this has been kind of my latest act. Uh, and right before I started freelance again, I took all the 12 AWS certifications. At the time there were 12. I think now there's, well, now there's still 12. It's just they swapped one of them out. Uh, but this was like last year, early last year, uh, it was kind of like a parlor trick for me. I did it really fast. And I think that's that's sort of my MO is like, like you said, going really hard on things. Did you say early last year? Yeah. Yeah. I took all the 12 certifications in like a six week period uh, in early 2021. <laughs> yeah. No, I went super like, I, I nerded out and did the People thing. People came here, but I mouthed Jesus <laughs> effing Christ. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, I, I like, I obsess. I'm, I'm really bad about it. Like you could talk to my wife about it and she'll tell you the bad parts. Uh, yeah, no, I just kind of like decided like, I want to have these and it'd be like one thing to like spend a couple of years and get them like, okay, I don't really want them that bad, but if I could do it really fast, that might be kind of cool. So, uh, oh, man. yeah, I was really studying fast. for that. Like, or did you have to? Did you know AWS enough? Oh, absolutely. No, it, that's the thing. And I, I joke about it. I wrote like a blog post after I did it. Like most of the stuff on the certs is not stuff I do every day. So I, I've been building on AWS for like eight years. But the stuff I'm building with versus what's on the certs, there's not a serverless certification. So like most of what I do and what I enjoy building on AWS is very specific. It's serverless stuff. It's DynamoDB and AppSync and like building out full stack web apps, that kind of stuff. And the certs are like transit VPNs and like doing all these crazy networking things and setting up, you know, auto scaling and VPCs and stuff that I just don't do that much. So I did have to study quite a lot. Like it was, uh, I'm just, I'm good at audible learning. So like I auditory or whatever that's called. So I can listen to content at like two and a half speed or whatever and absorb it. And that was sort of the parlor trick. It's like, I think I could probably just learn all this stuff for these exams fast enough that I could take them every other day for some stretch of time. Wow. Uh, 
and and that's what i did it's it's sort of gaming it it's like kind of making fun almost of certifications <laughs> uh <laughs> like in in the sense that like what did i really what did i really prove if i took them that quickly did i just prove that like you can kind of game it if you're good at taking tests and good at studying i don't know right and i mean that that's very much in line with my view of certifications yeah personally. <laughs> yeah no it's, it's, i think it's true like i since i got them i don't know like iq is a whole separate conversation so aws iq is this marketplace where you can like bid on work that aws customers have like they have requests that they put in it's sort of like upwork uh on that platform certifications help a lot like the big number is next to your name that matters outside of that i just don't know that i've had any value come from having 12 certifications and i don't know right. i don't apply for a lot of jobs so maybe that's it maybe it helps people who are applying for jobs i don't know i i really don't know if it does right yes yeah, exactly i don't know people have asked me for certifications for my courses and i'm just like i'm just a guy putting videos there i don't know why you <laughs> care about my piece of paper <laughs> yeah yeah Okay, so IQ, do you know if you get most clients from IQ or what's the ratio? So, well, I don't do a lot of client work the last six months. I don't know. I uh, kind of got known for like, I make a lot of money in freelance. And then I made a lot of money in freelance and I sort of took it easy. Nice. <laughs> so since I think since the fall, I've been doing very selective work, which is the best kind because mm. you sort of self-select into really great clients to work with that are not very needy. And uh, I've still got a handful of projects that I'm involved with. And I've ended up advising a few companies through my freelancing work. So I, I was like doing mostly freelancing for startups. And in that, you kind of make a lot of relationships with founders, early stage right. stuff. And I've been a founder and I've done the venture capital thing and, and sort of gone through a lot of those hoops. And I think have some perspective on that. So I've actually ended up kind of building longer term relationships with some startups that I sort of serve as a formal advisor. Uh, but yeah, early on, it was all my work. Like it was the first few months of freelancing. That was, I was bringing in everything I could find on IQ. And there are a lot of really great startups that end up there. Uh, the early stage startups that don't necessarily have enterprise support and they don't have mm -hmm. TAMs and all this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, once, once I kind of got through that early like blitz in the summer of last year, and made a lot of money doing it, I I really kind of tapered off. And then I had a few relationships just from prior, um, like during my startup days. Uh, I know other founders and investors that had portfolio companies and stuff like that. So now it's a mix. Like I don't look at IQ that much, but knowing it's there and knowing I can sort of go on there whenever I'd like and grab good opportunities, uh, that definitely helps still today with my confidence. Like I don't feel the, the urge to go out and, and find work or I'm not panicking over finding work because I know I have this sort of infinite lead gen. It's just unfair. Right. There, there needs to be that <laughs> for everything. <laughs> I don't know. Upwork's not there. Like it's different. I think it's more like race to the bottom, but well, I mean, it's a mix of relationships. Sounds like a lot of it now is relationships. You could talk to someone instead of maybe going to IQ if you needed to, which makes yeah. sense. That seems like what you do for freelancing hopefully yeah oh yeah and talking is a lot better too just like my later the the last few months most of my work is more consulting less hands-on so a lot Neat. of my actual work is talking to right. people and teams and helping them kind of understand how to best build on serverless or whatever else mm -hmm. cool i like that idea
That seems yeah, linear. It's, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. I think Corey Quinn, big in the AWS community, he said something about like the moment you start like delivering crappy CloudFormation files, they realize I could have people at my company build those crappy CloudFormation files. Right. Like I don't need you. So it, there's something about it where you're just sort of offering advice and your deliverables are like PDFs right. that kind of keeps like a mystique about you. Like you're some, uh, I don't know, really an expert. ultra knowledgeable. Yeah, you're right. an expert. Exactly. What were, okay, two things. Uh, first of all, TAM is, I what's the T in TAM? Something account manager. Uh, technical account manager, isn't it? Okay, and that's what you get when you're spending a lot of money on AWS, right? Yeah, I think does enterprise support, I think it starts out at like 15000 a month. Which, I mean, if you're a well-funded startup, that's totally reasonable. I mean, like, if you're spending that in your cloud, I mean, maybe maybe not totally reasonable because I think my startup, so I, I started in 2014, StatMuse. I think at peak, we were like 10, 15,000 a month in AWS costs. So that'd be like doubling our bill. It wasn't really reasonable for us. And, and we raised 15, or $15 million over five years. So uh, you'd have to be like, you have to do a bunch of stuff to get there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what were your, uh, what's the other thing? Oh, Corey Quinn uh, is someone you just mentioned. He's really big in the AWS space because he does yeah. work around billing, like understanding your AWS bill, which I think is kind of a really cool niche to be in in, in the AWS world. That's where the dollars are. I mean, exactly. <laughs> you're, like, you're helping people. It's very clear what you're helping people do when you're helping them save on their bill. And that's kind of the whole serverless thing, too. Like, I feel like, being sort of an expert around serverless and, and I know you're in this space, like you're helping come in and think about building applications in a more efficient way, which is another way of looking at lowering your bill, you know, using technologies that are lighter on your bill. For sure. Um, who were your best clients? What kind of work was that? Cause I remember we talked before and you mentioned a lot of security related stuff, but I wonder if that has, uh, has since changed. Yeah. So I, it's been such a mix for me and I actually published in the fall. I can't remember how long that's been now. I published like a spreadsheet that was my first, I don't know, six months of freelancing. And it was like every client anonymized, but like had the type of work it was and how much they paid me and all that. So it was like 16 clients, I think. And there really weren't like two things. There there wasn't anything that appeared more than like twice in terms of the type of work I did. So it really is spread all out and it's not, like I don't just get to do serverless stuff. I've had plenty of clients where I'm building out stuff on more traditional sort of app architectures, Rails apps and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of a mix. Like I, the ones I like try to avoid now is really like I'm trying to avoid building full stack on a team. Like I don't want to come into a startup and help them build out an application full stack. I want to like guide them so it's just the consultation versus implementation thing. Right. Like, yep. I want to teach them how to fish, I guess, uh, and not sort of get in there and start pushing PRs. Like that's the work that I've done that I kind of regret getting involved with at that level. Just people have opinions. Like when you start like shipping actual code, especially if it's full stack and there's a front end, like people have opinions about front end and what it looks like and how it feels and <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff that like a little bit yeah a little bit and if i just like fix stuff in your security account there's a lot less opinions like about that stuff it's much more cut and dry easier to kind of define the scope if you will how did you come across or learn about 
AWS is kind of like multi-account security setup. Was that something you learned in the certifications or did you have to figure that out afterwards or maybe during your startup time? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it's in the certifications so much and I might be totally misrepresenting. Uh, I don't know. It was six weeks. It was a blur. Uh, so you'd maybe double check me on that. But I don't remember really learning much of that there. I think probably more so just like being a part of the Twitter community, like the AWS community on Twitter, I feel like that just kind of became this kind of shared common tribal knowledge. Right. And I know there's plenty of documentation now, if you go to AWS, like on published documentation around best practices there, uh, as part of like well-architected and all that. Uh, and even just like the control tower documentation kind of talks through best practices in terms of multi-account and having like a security posture account and all these sort of things. That's been really interesting to me because it's still sort of a black box to me. I, I like sort of know what's going on, but I haven't done it myself. Yeah. So like it's, it's super weird to be like, oh, OK, so you have an account for users, like an account that's like security stuff account. And then you can just make, keep making accounts, right? Like maybe yeah. one to one team gets an account or even like an individual developer gets an account. Yeah, individual stuff. developers. It's like, I mean, even for me building, I do most of my work like I, like building side projects, even my freelancing. I like to work alone. And even building side projects where I'm the only person involved, I still do a lot of this stuff where I, I have a separate dev account. Like when I advise startups and work with teams, it just it's nice to be able to hand each developer their credentials and know that they're sort of sandboxed and they're not going to step on anyone. They're not going to do anything that impacts any other developer. It just makes it easier. You give them admin access, like they own that thing and they can do whatever they want. And then things just get tighter as you move closer to production. Yeah, that's um, neat. Yeah. And of course, centralized billing goes along with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it'd be really hard to manage without a lot of the, I oh mean, AWS God. SSO, like that makes things a lot easier, just being able to manage lots of accounts. Uh, it's kind of weird. Like I wish AWS accounts, like if that's the unit of organization that like you're sort of, you're isolating all your resources in, I wish there weren't so many hoops to create accounts. Like I wish they didn't have to each have a unique email address. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's voiced this. Oh, yeah. Uh, Even I've hit that. At yeah. My new, at my noob level, I've hit that. Like, <laughs> why, am I, why am I doing this? Yeah. And then like I, I wish... get a password for that new account, so I had to like do the forgot password thing to like get the root yeah, account. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, you just made this for me. Yeah, exactly. That part of it gets kind of annoying. But but I think having all the things isolated, uh, there's benefits there. I don't know. Yeah. Smart people have said so. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> So I remember seeing you tweet about doing a lot of GraphQL and maybe like, uh, I'm going to call it data lake stuff, but just like getting data into like, uh, I don't know, Athena or something. Yeah. I don't know if you're talking about specific clients there or not, or if that is something you do a lot, like, or have done a lot in the freelance stuff. Yeah. So like I've done it for a few freelance clients, but also just every project I sort of end up building the same stack. Okay, that's interesting because that's very far from where I am. Like with my professional yeah. stuff, like like no, what, are the, yeah. what are clients want where that's like solving a problem for? Yeah, so one client, you know, they have an application that's built out mostly with serverless technologies. So it's it's like a bunch of API gateway and DynamoDB and then like Java lambdas. So they built out this huge application. They're serving a lot of active customers, but they didn't really have insight. And if you've messed with serverless very long, you know, like it's not super easy to understand, like if you've got a Dynamo table, how do you do analytics on that? How do you understand internally, like measure stuff? And one of the ways, the way that I like to do that is sort of sending everything to S3 and doing the sort of 
serverless data lake stuff. So if you can pipe everything from Dynamo to S3, which there's a lot of ways these days, mostly Kinesis is the way that I do that. So like you can Kinesis Firehose into S3. Now you've got this bucket full of JSON objects, or it could be uh, like Parquet. There's different ways people format for efficiency and all these other things. But ultimately you've got this data lake that you can then point Athena, which is a really cool service, at that bucket and query it with SQL. So you kind of get your SQL back uh, that you lose when you start working with the Dynamo API. Well, is that, what kind of data is it? Is that data specific to their application or is it like usage data around serverless so you could help monitor your serverless stuff? Yeah, so it, it can be both. But in this case, like that particular client I'm talking about, it's it's data like user, like app centric data. Mm, okay. Um, so being able to understand like how each of their tenants is sort of operating. But yeah, the, the, that's the thing. Like all the other AWS services are really good about making it easy to to move data around. So it's easy to pipe events, you know, from EventBridge or whatever into your data lake. Like there's a lot of different approaches to source data from all over your accounts and put them in that data lake and you're doing analytics across all that stuff. I'll say all that and really these days, in the last month, I've been made aware of a product called Rockset and Rockset did not pay me to say this, but wow, it's awesome. Like it, it kind of eliminates that whole stack and now I can just like, build everything in my app on Dynamo and sign up on Rockset, point it at my table and do all the SQL querying. It's basically the oh, Athena no. stack okay. without having to build it out yourself and, and don't have to manage it all like after the fact. So it's a really great product. Recommend it. Neat. It looks like they're charging based on what storage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. I think so. I'm yeah, just I should care their, about their things like page. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's if you're a client, it's like, here, sign up for this. You're paying for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're paying for everything in some form. It's just mm -hmm. how you're paying for it. And uh, yeah, not having to manage the whole pipeline there and the data lake and, and just like knowing how to partition the data lake. There's just a lot of things you can kind of screw up uh, for yourself down the road. Uh, just being able to point in Rockset to your Dynamo table. It's it's been a huge lifesaver for me. So that's that's my big recommendation going forward with clients. Neat. Just to avoid building it. Okay. So backing up a little out of the technical stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just diving all over. <laughs> no, the no, place. no. I love it. That's, that's what I'm about too. So that's why this podcast is interesting because I'm all of supposedly a business podcast, but then I just like get into some tech stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk business. I don't even know. Where do we want to go from here? Oh, well, man. actually, how did you? pivot i'll call it a pivot into more yeah. consulting stuff it sounded like you kind of chose to or but i bet like some clients came along and were kind of looking for that also yeah i think so there were some clients looking for it that i got lucky uh w the other thing is just not needing the implementation work like mm -hmm. having that's the biggest thing in freelance is like don't your leverage <laughs> yeah don't and don't actually need it for your own psychology mm. like once you've gotten to the point where you've, you've kind of proven to yourself what you can bring in and, and how you can sustain sort of a freelance business, you can get a lot more selective and then it just gets better from there. Like the work, you, you just, you're turning down stuff that doesn't sound interesting and, and not turning down like they're coming to you necessarily even. I mean, you get some inbounds depending on your sort of online presence, but turning down in the sense that you see that work available somewhere and you're choosing not to, to go right. get it. Not to, <laughs> not to contact them or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think like 
for me, getting into more consulting versus implementation has just been a psychological kind of line in the sand where I've said, I'm not going to pursue implementation work, like at least for the foreseeable future. That may change. I may not always be so fortunate, but right. for now, that's that's kind of the plan. So the little bit of stuff I'm doing is is sort of consulting work. Have you ever thought about doing a, I don't know what I'll call it, like a class, like maybe you live stream and kind of just talk about something and just have people pay you some amount per seat, just like yeah. public? I mean, maybe for a business. Uh, I hear people do this where they do like on-site and businesses and stuff, but maybe I was just talking to Alex Debris last week and he does this where it's not like he goes on-site, but he'll do a specific business. So there might be like 20 people watching yeah. him talk about DynamoDB. But I don't know if you thought about doing that because I've thought about doing that, not necessarily for a specific company, but just like as a thing that you can sign up for that I do once in a while. Yeah, and I listened uh, to Alex on your podcast uh, and I, I heard that conversation. I'm very much interested in doing a cohort-based kind of course. I, I guess that's different than a webinar, maybe mm, subtly. It's close though, but yeah. It's close, yeah. So I'm in, very much interested. I Like I've taken some pretty tangible steps so i'm i'm planning to launch nice. sort of a an aws it's like full stack serverless on aws cool so that's interesting because um will that be pre-recorded then as opposed to no like it's, live? it's gonna be it's gonna be a live like interactive course where you're basically on like five or six zoom calls with a group of 30 people like it's interactive in the sense that like i'll be instructing but it's going to be different every every cohort, and mm-hmm. there's going to be questions. There's going to be it's it's more hands on than sort of a pre recorded course. Yeah, I guess like you could record it, and then maybe you could package that up as a pre recorded course. Uh, but the plan is to do like a live thing, and I've seen this. I, I mean, I've seen other. I've been a part of cohort courses. I know like it's a thing that can work. I don't know if it's a thing that. I am going to make good or not. But. Right. I mean, it's definitely worth experimenting with. I yeah. want to do that, yeah. I do love teaching. Like, I, I think that's something that early in life, I thought I wanted to be doing something like that. Like, uh, not before I even really was into technology. So I think, like, maybe it's being in the Midwest. I don't know. Like, I like interacting with normal people or people who don't have they're not as deep in the hole as I am. <laughs> uh, and I think doing something like this is a way to kind of like take people who that's the other thing. If you've been in technology and you live in the Midwest and maybe this isn't true just for the Midwest, but you get a lot of questions from friends and family. Like, how can I do what you do? Because you just get to be home and do this and, and work with technology. That sounds fun. Uh, I don't know. Now I'm just straying off, but no, it's I, I, I do. I want to like set up some sort of, avenue for for teaching and for experimenting with it at least uh and especially the stuff i'm really passionate about so serverless and building out on aws is something i really enjoy cool that seems like a like a good game plan or at least it's something i'm thinking about too so i i I like the idea naturally uh no i want to hear about so you're doing the pre-recorded thing with cloudcast right is that all pre-recorded oh yeah definitely which is what i've always preferred to do the few times i've been in a situation where not a few times, but if I'm just like helping someone, like I hang out with some discords for Laravel stuff and like there's some yeah. server channels in there. And once in a while you're talking to someone who has like such a superficial level of knowledge of like server stuff that you almost can't help them. So like yeah. that's always making me afraid of doing like in-person teaching of technology stuff. Cause I just like, there's so much base knowledge that you need to absorb before I could even begin to answer this question. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that part is kind of scary and to that, me. That's the hard part I think is like defining that 
that prerequisite or that scope of the course because if you're talking like taking full stack serverless like where do you start do they have do they need to have a base understanding of programming languages because if you're going to like i'm going to be teaching a whole bunch of typescript like it's right. going to be very practical and it's going to be like here's how i build out applications on aws what what sort of level are you doing that is it a 100 course or a 200 or a 300 and then what sort of knowledge are they going to have coming in that's the hard part i think is like finding that group of people that you're sort of resonating with on that level like i don't know that i'm really a beginner teacher like i think i'm more mm-hmm. like the a little bit up from that yeah well it's uh, too hard to be a beginner teacher when you have so much you have so many years of knowledge yeah. in you like like i ran into someone at the coffee shop he was a student he was working i saw him opening github and like having a code editor opening so i was like oh what are you up to and he's like well i have this course and i need to make out a form to uh just like make a login authentication form and i was just like okay that's simple enough but then he was like using react because he's teaching himself react and i was like yeah I didn't know how to explain how using like a totally Ajax React thing is going to make his life so much harder to just submit a form and talk to my SQL. Because yeah. I was like, like, are you going to do that? Like, it's like Ajax request. I'm calling them Ajax request. Do the, do the kids even call the Ajax anymore? I, I don't <laughs> know. I have no idea. <laughs> like, that's old. It, it has XML in the, in the acronym. Like, yeah. who even knows what that is anymore? So, I mean, oh my God. So like, I, I was just like, uh, I have to go. My kids need me. See you later. Yeah, I can't do it. It's too. It's too much. Yeah, no, it's really true. Like I, there's so many layers at this point in our careers that you've sort of absorbed over time. Finding a way to sort of distill that and truncate. I think it is possible for people in our position to truncate a lot of the learning and to make it more efficient for people earlier in their career. I think one-on-one mentorship, like. I'm sure that's what's good about working at companies. I don't really care to work at companies, but like, I'm sure you've got people coming in who are newer in their career, learning a lot from, you know, people who've been doing it for a while. Right. But doing that, like as a product that you can sell to people, because ultimately I can't sort of like, you have to position yourself correctly. Like make sure the words on your page are correct. So the right people sign up and that kind of Exactly. I don't want to get a, a range, you know, the first cohort is 30 people and, some of them are tracking with much higher level concepts and the others are still like very, very new. That's just going to be a train wreck. I think you've got to figure out a way to sort of homogenize that. uh, If that's a term that can be used for people. (laughs) (laughs) Have you thought about how you might price this thing like per seat and like, like in the hundreds of dollars or like $15 a seat? Like all these are all questions I've had for myself too. Yeah. So I'm going off of, well, a few things. There's a few levers here. One of them is just like, what is going to make me excited to do this? And I know I'm not going to make as much doing this as I can make freelancing, but as long as it's like I'm making enough to justify the amount of time I know I'll put into it, I do that thing where I obsess and I will pour like weeks of time into this. I know right. getting it ready before that first cohort. Uh, so I've got to sort of like charge enough to justify what I'm going to put into it. But at the same time, like, I, I want to be accessible to – I have a lot of people that follow me on social media that are international. And, like, Twitter, as an example, is just so global. And I don't want to totally exclude people from economies where they just can't justify, like, paying an American engineer the rates that we make here in America. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation. But mm-hmm. I think right now the plan – is to charge so each cohort being something like 30 seats 
and to charge in the low hundreds of dollars per seat, uh, but then to give away like five of them per cohort as like scholarships. And right. that maybe hopefully open up the door more to bringing in folks that it's just outside their means. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I would do like the price parity thing. And, and I want to do that like for other products, SaaS products, things like that. For something like this where it's directly tied to your time, it just feels hard because if, if I open right. it up where 30 people signed up internationally and uh, then you get into the problem of like just sort of justifying the time. Uh, I don't know. All this sounds so like, I feel like a robot and it sounds so awful. <laughs> no, this makes uh, total sense. It has to be worth your time. I mean. Yeah. Up. It's like there's a psychology. There's some kind of like mental thing that like if you know you can make X, it just sort of makes it hard to go out and do things that don't also make that. Right. For that sure. makes sense. Yeah. That's a human thing. Fear of loss yeah. or whatever. Okay. Still a human. <laughs> Got it. Good. <laughs> Not a robot thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What other fun stuff have you been doing? The other fun things I know about Adam is that he has a lot of high-tech audiovisual gear. <laughs> oh, man. I do. And I, I uh, see behind you, you've been getting into the mechanical keyboards, and you have yeah. is it a Lego like town that um, you built with yeah. your kids. I go, yeah, I did. I built it with my kids. Uh, I got to point that out. So my seven-year-old boy uh, helps me build the Lego buildings. Uh, but, yeah, so the Lego buildings are interesting. I This is like... Normal people buy Lego sets and they build Lego sets, but like I, I've invested so much time and I just got done saying like, I don't want to invest time and stuff that I don't make a lot of money doing, but I made $0 lighting Mm -hmm. my Lego buildings, but I spent hundreds of hours so far. (laughs) Uh, Like I drill holes in the walls to like run wires. It's the whole thing that takes way too much time and there's absolutely no benefit except for my own peace of mind that there's not wires super fun. (laughs) <laughs> it's my it's like one of my few hobbies so mechanical keyboards that's the thing i've I've definitely started getting into mm-hmm. uh yeah no I, I the audiovisual stuff i uh i went down like a hole in the winter after i kind of slowed down with freelancing and i just decided i wanted to start like making video content of some sort uh that's when i started my podcast aws fm and yeah i'm i'm still early I just can't even talk about what I've, <laughs> what I've purchased. I mean, it's like my office is a small YouTube studio at this point. Right. Uh, and some Amazing. of it is just, it's kind of like you'd make fun of some of the stuff until I actually released something where I used it. Uh, <laughs> so that's the thing I got to do now is I got to push some stuff out there. Make it's it worth gonna involve, it. Yeah. I got to make it worth it. Uh, I mean, yeah. or not, it could just be fun to have. It you is. Know? It's fun. Yeah. I, I want all used that stuff, but I'm not going to be life. a live streamer. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to live stream. I mean, I guess aside from a cohort course, uh, I want to make other educational content that's pre-recorded. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'll leave it there because I, I swear, if I start going into the details, no. you're just going right. to laugh me off the podcast, <laughs> and we're going to have to end it here. <laughs> Okay, so you slowed down in freelance. Do you know if you're going to pick that back up in a while? Are you just kind of seeing what comes around? Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm open to good opportunities. And by good, I mean like consulting and their startups. Like th- there's like a set of criteria now that every opportunity sort of has to check the mm-hmm. boxes. Uh, as those come along, I mean, I just took on a new client in the last few weeks. And I'd love to find more more relationships like this one so i'm i'm open to it it's just i'm not out there sort of looking for the big time investment projects anymore yeah 
Uh, and I started a SaaS, so I did start building uh, in the last four or five months. Yeah, let's talk about that, which is public.dev. Did you have to pay a lot for that domain? Uh, <laughs> well, d- so I didn't have to buy it third party. I bought it, I guess, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Uh, so I bought it straight from the registrar, which is, I guess is Google. Nice. Uh, yeah. But it is it is like $800 a year. So a lot of the, the .dev, like the single word .dev. premium. Yeah, they're premium, and they. Ch- I mean, that's like kind of insane. When I first saw those, that it's yearly. Like, it's one thing to spend a lot of money on a domain up front. It's another right. thing, like every year when you're used to like the fifteen dollar hit. <laughs> when I you know, start, I dropped a few because I did the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah. "This is a good domain," and I was like, "I'm never going to use this." So this is a lot <laughs> yeah. of money for year. Yeah, and that's why I built public. I mean, really, like I bought the domain with an idea. And then sat on it for a year. And when I renewed it, it was like, man, I can't keep paying $800 a year. Mm. So I started in earnest building, I guess, because I felt like I should just get rid of the domain if I'm not going to use it. Uh, But I really liked the domain and I liked the idea. And I think it's sort of like I started very practically with this idea that I hate my personal website and I have for my entire like 15 year career. And I constantly feel guilty that I'm not like, doing more to make it better or updating it and so it practically like this idea started out of like just making it really easy to make a fast up-to-date and attractive website uh, for my personal portfolio that's what public kind of is is like this dev portfolio builder but I sort of stumbled into I think a bigger mission which I've never really had so I built a startup StatMuse, ran it for five years, never really had a mission that I felt like I was excited about why I was building it. I just mm. kind of like built a thing that I was excited to use, but like why I was continuing to do it wasn't clear. But public, I feel like I've I've accidentally kind of just like talked myself into this idea that like most of my career, I've not been very public. Like I've been a very in the shadows kind of developer i don't know do you know who scott hanselman is no okay so scott hanselman is like this microsoft employee uh he's a big developer advocate for for microsoft evangelist or something i'm not sure the titles but uh, a big blogger podcaster in that space and he had this article that i read i don't know a decade ago uh called dark matter developers and it's this idea that like 99% of developers are sort of like working at companies shipping code every day, but they don't write. They don't like do YouTube videos. They don't do podcasts. Like they're just sort of doing development work and they don't necessarily engage in the community in the same way that a very small sliver of the community is very active. So I very much like resonate with that idea and I've been that most of my career. And this idea with public is like, how do I help people like me who are developers that struggle to get out there publicly? Uh, how do we help share and be more kind of proud of, of what we're building publicly and what we're sharing with the world, like our online presence? So that's kind of like this big mission now for me is like long-term focus. I want to make this platform. Oh, I hate the word platform. <laughs> I want to make <laughs> I want to make a product or a set of products, tools to help developers share more publicly and to be, you know, writing, doing things that they, they don't feel like they're doing enough of, or they're not doing at all. Uh, I know there's a lot of anxiety for me around that stuff and I want to help make that better. 
Cool. Anxiety around just putting yourself out there, like being on, I don't know, Twitter and all that stuff? Uh, I think the anxiety is that I don't do enough of that. Like, mm, yep. for most of my career, it's like I see, I follow a lot of developer blogs and I watch a lot of developer content and just never feeling like I'm ever going to take the time to do that, like to actually share what I'm learning to like just little stuff, you know, as I've gotten into this and looked at a whole lot of developer websites and blogs, you realize like people aren't writing every week. I mean, there are people, mm-hmm. but it's like even just writing a handful of, of blog posts a year, uh, it can seem so intimidating from the other side when you're not writing or contributing. Right in that way to the community. Uh, yeah. And the other side, they see the ones that are top of hacker news or whatever too. So like it's, yeah, you, you see the most famous stuff. I feel like exactly. Also. So it's hard to compare yourself to any of that. Yeah. No, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I want to stop feeling bad about how much I'm, I'm doing publicly or how much I'm sharing kind of publicly. Uh, that's something most of my career I felt pretty bad about. That makes sense. There's always, I'm hit every week with like, oh man, I haven't like tweeted enough about like my business or yeah. <laughs> any of this stuff. Yeah. It's just like a constant kind of like treadmill background thread where you're like, oh God, I haven't done anything that I need to be yep. doing. Like none of the important work is getting done. I don't even know if that's important, but you know, it's kind of like for me, like trying to grow this app is kind of like marketing too. So I'm always just like, oh, I haven't been marketing this thing at all. Yeah. I No, I, I heard your, uh, man, I have so many questions for you actually. Just okay. If you listening want to, the, well, <laughs> listening to the podcast with Alex, like the Laravel community is super fascinating to me, but I do not think this is the topic of, of your podcast. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask all these questions, but I'm going to have you on AWS FM. So we're going to trade these and you're going to be on my podcast. Okay. That and, sounds perfect. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you a lot of technical Laravel and AWS questions. Cool. That sounds fun. I have thought specifically about doing a course and then maybe also this like webinar idea for just converting a, a standard application to Laravel Vapor, which is, you know, Laravel's like serverless thing. Yep. So I might do that. And it's kind of interesting because there's, you know, certain issues you hit around just like moving this monolith application to, to serverless. But even then, it's still kind of a monolith because the you don't get an endpoint per, you don't get a Lambda function per endpoint. Like you might in like, I don't know, every other implementation of serverless I've ever seen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't know if I agree with still, but I have opinions of that. But um, for, at least for, I don't know, maybe that's PHP specific, but, but that's kind of neat. I think it's, that model is kind of easy to transfer a big monolith application to serverless because it's just like, you just move your monolith into a Lambda function and it it gets every web application. It just parses out what URI you're getting and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of neat. But but anyway, the idea that I wanted to just like show that process of moving like your, your application that exists already into a vapor environment, a serverless environment and like the stuff you might run into. Like if you're hitting the database too hard and need a proxy or, you know, all that kind of nonsense. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. It's just a plan right now, but I also have a job in like a business. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot. you got a lot going on. Yeah, it's the, kind of stressful. Full time job <laughs> with everything. I would have thought like everything you do, you don't have a full time job on top of it. it feels yeah, like. <laughs> um, <laughs> the course stuff made more than a salary a few years, but then the kids were making it too hard to to make courses. And then I also made a, a MySQL backups course, and I secretly was doing that to. So that course did the worst of any course I ever did. So it wasn't like a waste of time, and I actually had a lot of fun learning the kind of like these weird in and outs of MySQL yeah. stuff, but. I was kind of like doing that to gauge interest in a, a backup application, like a SaaS I might have built on top of that. I didn't end up doing it because I didn't. It didn't feel like 
uh, enough of a market was there. Although, of course, people like Snapshooter have like totally I was going to say Snapshooter good, comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> made a good business out of this. So who, what do I know? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't do it. So that was like also cost me a bunch of time because I was like that was happening when the kids were young enough or like they kind of went to bed early and I had a bunch of time. And now the kids are in bed at eight. So I have like from yeah. like, you know, like that kind of time pressure is happening to me right now. Oh, so. same. And daylight savings, like our kids, we didn't adjust them. So mm-hmm. they, they just go to bed an hour later, which is eight. And we just lost an hour of our right, evening, basically. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that pain. Important hour. Yeah. We, we tried yeah. to shift our kids and they shifted eventually. So that was kind of a painful period too. It gets kind of yeah. weird. So, you know, yeah. And that's the kind of weird period with kids where they're like, they need your attention and like, you have to give your kids your full attention right up until they're in bed because they're just kind of like going crazy. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. I, I dream of a day where, I don't know, we have more of that time that like, I've got a neighbor who his youngest is like six or seven. My oldest is seven and I've got a two year old. And I, I think when you've got a little, little one, you just forget what it's like to have any time at all. Like mm-hmm. all of your time is devoted to keeping that little one occupied and entertained. Yeah, yeah totally. The second I'm off work and like, usually that's a few minutes before I'm really off work because <laughs> yeah, my wife yeah. is going crazy <laughs> at that point. It's just Seriously. like, you're taking over. I'll be yeah, back later. I, I feel like there's not enough people talking. I hope this is in line with your podcast theme. <laughs> you I cut out will anything. always, always talk about how hard it is to have kids, no matter what context I'm in. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I feel like I'm not enough people publicly, maybe it's on Twitter, just the circles I hang out in, talk about like as the working spouse, like my spouse doesn't work. As a working spouse, the amount of guilt that I constantly feel over my spouse taking care of our kids during the day and how quickly like getting off of work is just this immense pressure to like immediately relieve her. Yeah. It's out of the <laughs> and, frying pan into the fryer for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. Not it's relaxing. like, <laughs> it's not, it's uh yeah, it's an interesting thing that I'm sure other people are all dealing with this and I don't know, maybe it's different. I don't, I don't even know the dynamic when both parents work, but I know as a working parent with a parent who's, I mean, working more than I am, but with the kids mm-hmm. all day and not necessarily like something that she grew up wanting to like watch kids every day. Yeah, yeah uh, for sure. It's just a constant guilt. Yeah. Anyway. That's, yeah. No, it's there. It's totally for you. correct. And then also, <laughs> yeah, and you hear the kids like yelling in the background. You're like, oh, I really should help out. Yeah. She's having a tough time. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-huh. But I have this like time pressure at work or something and like something's going on. Like someone's server is broken and I'm like, trying yeah, to, like desperately fix it. Like that happens a bunch. There's always like something going on where some customer is like unhappy with something I got to fix. Yeah. So that, at the same like, time, the kids run. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun stuff. Oh, yeah. I guess we'll look back and we'll just say like these were very short periods of our life and uh, and there were so many precious little things going on in moments mm-hmm. that it's I wish I could appreciate them more if things weren't just so crazy. It's true. Yeah, it's hard to when like sometimes you're just like, oh, this is actually really neat that this is happening, but I'm actually stressed out still from yeah. work and I haven't decompressed at all. So I can't exactly. feel that. You know? Yep. Hmm. What else is going and on? I- I have so many questions for you, but I know it's not appropriate on your podcast to ask you questions. <laughs> no, it is. Are you kidding me? Well, uh, okay. So just when you, when you, <laughs> when you reached out to come on here, it was like this moment where the last couple of weeks, and I just did an episode of my podcast, just recorded it like last week or two weeks ago, where I talked about Laravel for like 20 minutes, because it's this thing I'm very curious about right now. And I guess like you're at that intersection 
where like you hang out in the AWS and Laravel community. And that intersection is super interesting to me because I guess like Laravel feels so foreign and so distant as someone who's never written any PHP, but it feels like I hang out in the same like neighbor neighborhood Mm -hmm. or like we're bordering cities or something like there's this such a like commonality between we're just all software engineers or developers but this at the same time you guys talk about things that i don't understand and none of it makes (laughs) sense and they're all like names of products that taylor otwell created and i wish i knew more and also just everyone in that community seems so friendly and we have that in the aws community as well like not all tech communities, I guess, feel like that. Mm-hmm. But from the outside looking in, Laravel seems to have an amazing community. And I just want to know how how does someone who has an AWS background get into the Laravel community? Is there any <laughs> doing AWS stuff in the Laravel space? Or has Taylor already done it all? Okay, let me introduce you to my friend Aaron Francis, who was on this podcast. Yeah, I like Aaron. He's doing a lot of uh, serverless stuff. Uh, and just made some cool, you know, stuff around that in the Laravel community. And he's, yeah. you know, he's talking about that and did a talk at, at like Sidecar, and that kind of stuff. Uh, sidecar, yep. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it is a cool community. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, is it like the cool server side community? It's not React, <laughs> you know. It's yeah, not the JavaScript it's... kids. <laughs> well, and that and there's a lot of draw there. Like, I'm not as someone that I prefer building out like. AWS infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I'm not like necessarily all that excited about front end technologies, but there's like this de facto kind of like if you're building full stack stuff and on AWS, you kind of end up building React stuff. Which is interesting, especially re- in serverless, right? Like you end up in that yeah. you know, sphere, it seems like. But it's not really where I care to like, I would love to learn more, I guess. Like, are people building with DynamoDB and Laravel land or like the ORM is so specific to like MySQL and Postgres or something. Yeah. Not, not as much, uh, that yeah. I've seen, but certainly some, but, uh, like I, so almost put Dynamo, I almost put Dynamo into production, but it was like a stupid small app and the Dynamo was like keeping track of, of people. And like, there wasn't, I wasn't using advanced features of Dynamo at all. We ended up not doing that just for other reasons that were yeah. unrelated to, to serverless or Dynamo or anything. And I actually like Dynamo a lot from that, but Laravel doesn't it, it, have tooling. There's some like packages, but there's no, no like first party stuff around that, which might change. Like um, I know Aaron Francis, who we just mentioned, is re- working on a library to talk to single store, which is, is like has a MySQL compatible layer. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. And that's not serverless, but like is so uh, performant that like it kind of feels like it a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's um, serverless in the sense that it's not your server. Like, right. Uh, it's a third party. Right. Yeah. No, I, so, I think like, I know you're, you're sort of in both worlds, right? Like you, you do a lot of AWS stuff and you're part of the AWS community, but you're very much part of that Laravel community. Is that your, like, is your day job sort of Laravel focused? Yes. Did I hear that? Yep. Yeah. So it's a customer support app. This application I work on specifically at work is almost 20 years old like 17 years old or something like that so you obviously yeah. do not start with laravel laravel is in it now and is the basis for stuff but there's a lot of like uh, old stuff going on too some some hacks yeah. to make it all work together uh but definitely is laravel focused uh this is the company that taylor worked at before uh oh. before going independent because you know laravel forge got made and you know that's great gave him a great income so yeah uh, I worked with him for a year or two, something. But at the time, he was working at um, an app that doesn't exist anymore. That was like a, a less enterprisey version of of our main application, HelpSpot. 
So um, we didn't work at the same project, but we worked together for like a year or two. Um, Are you, so I've watched the documentary. I mean, the, the Laravel thing. Uh, this is again, never written a line of PHP and I feel like I'm stalking the Laravel community. Uh, did, are you, are you, are you from the Midwest? No, I'm from Connecticut. No. I'm oh, living in San Antonio okay. though. Got it. Cause I know he, D- Taylor's from like Arkansas, right? Little rock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I've, I've sufficiently asked you enough Laravel questions. I'll save mm-hmm. the last, the rest for, uh, okay. Let's do that. Okay. An AWS podcast. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> I'll have to think of some thoughts about how to get into the Laravel community. It's really just yeah. tweeting about it. I mean, maybe you'll have to write some PHP. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I want to like actually dive in and build stuff with it. But if there's no opportunity to build Laravel apps that involves building out AWS stuff, I'd probably lose interest pretty quick. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, that's why my like there's certainly companies using AWS a lot. And there's certainly people who PHP is one of those things where I, I don't know if I need to change my perspective on this, but I grew up with PHP just being on every shared web hosting there ever existed. And it was just always yeah. there. And you just threw a PHP file on the server and you didn't care about the server stuff yeah, at all. Cause it just worked. worked. Yeah. Like FTP, yep. your files up there and everything just works. <laughs> so the, uh, the PHP community has kind of been more server illiterate than other communities. Cause you just have to care so much less. Yeah. Um, you know, you're never forced to confront this stuff. Uh, so I think, I mean, that's kind of changing because now the de facto is like you have your own DigitalOcean droplet and like maybe Laravel Forge manages it. So maybe you just still don't care about servers so much, but um, you still have to know a little bit more. And like queues are kind of like a first party thing out of the box. So, you know, you might have to figure out how to run a daemon, you know, supervisor stuff and keep it up and running and that kind of stuff. So there's some, the baseline knowledge is certainly higher now, but PHP has always been simple. So I've always, that's where I've been hanging out, like this intersection where like, well, you kind of need to know the server stuff. So my point of that is that there is a lot of uh, stuff. Where there's a lot of opportunity to teach people or like make platforms for uh, people doing yeah. kind of the crazier, more, I don't know, elaborate AWS stuff, yeah. you know, no matter what their language is. But I think the PHP community in general has maybe pent up demand for that kind of stuff for apps that are scaling or just have those types of needs. Yeah, I'm going to stop. But... uh I could say more. Okay. Sounds <laughs> about good. Right. Well, about hour, so that's a yeah. good time. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right. So if people want to find you, what are the top few things that you want people to look at? Uh, yeah, I think Twitter. I mean, that's really the only place I hang out. Uh, so my Twitter is Adam, but it's like phonetically, A-E-D-U-H-M. <laughs> I've never uh, noticed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my Twitter handle. That's really it. I I've got a website that's I don't like. Uh, yeah. Until public dev find me on Twitter takes it over. Yeah, until public. Yeah, no, I've got a public web. Yeah, public dev slash Adam. That's my public website. That'll and then um, your podcast still has not been shut down despite it being called AWS yeah. FM. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 nobody shut it down. In fact, I've, I've the AWS folks like people that work at AWS seem to embrace it, and I've had a couple of AWS employees on now, so. I think it's going to stick around. Uh, awesome. I took like a five month holiday break, uh, but I've just started it back up and yeah. Great. That's my podcast. Cool. All right. I know I'm subscribed, so I can't oh, wait to cool. see more stuff. You'll through. get it soon. Yes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having me on.